Well, good morning. Um, let me read for us from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28, verses 16 to verse 20. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's good word for us. Thanks be to God. So we're finishing a series today on who we are, uh, looking at a possible new mission statement for our church, which reads, North Wake Church exists to know the love of God in Jesus Christ, to grow in love for one another, and to go in love to our neighbors near and far. I think another way of understanding why a church exists is to imagine what if this place disbanded? Would it mean anything? Would it matter? Would it make a difference? And if so, how? Uh, we've tried to show that through this series that this church does matter for a few reasons. First, we exist because we matter to God. He set his love on us. He chose us. He saved us by the death and resurrection of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And in, even when we struggle to be faithful to him as a church, he is always faithful to us. So that's the first reason we exist, to know the love of God in Jesus Christ as he's loved us. Second, we matter because we're here to love him back. We exist to love God in return, to delight in him, to enjoy him and glorify him, to know his love and love him in return. Third, we matter for the sake of one another. Um, I spent just a little bit of time this week in preparation for today thinking about this church and you all, thinking about these people, thinking about how I've been enriched, how my life has been deeply enriched by the relationships that I have here. Maybe that's worth pondering for you this week. How would you be impoverished? How would your life be impoverished without the people of North Wake Church? Fourth, we matter for the sake of gospel witness in this community, going in love to our neighbors near to us, but then fifth, I think North Wake Church has one more reason why we exist that in some ways is a unique priority for us. I mean, I don't know, maybe you, have you ever noticed how um, certain families just seem good or naturally good at certain things? Like uh, some families just do fun really, really well. They're always playing games. You go to their house, they've got this cupboard just overflowing with board games. Um, they go bowling all the time. They just, you know, do fun stuff, it seems like. Other families are just really well organized. You know, they do chore charts. Whoa! Um, their, their finances maybe are in order and their houses are clean. Uh, and then some families are just better at communicating than others. Some families are able to talk about their lives, talk about their feelings. They're able to express, express their issues and navigate conflict better than others. And oftentimes, these strengths or weaknesses are, are a result of the heritage that each family has received, what's been modeled for them, whether for better or worse. 
I imagine that churches are like this in some ways too. No one church will be equally as good at everything that churches are called to do. Certain churches will have unique strengths and weaknesses based on their heritage and based on that particular mix of people at that place in time. So even as we've kind of started to work on trying to shore up some areas of perceived relative weaknesses for our church, we must not forget about our strengths, what we do well as a family, what our heritage is as a church. What am I saying by this? Northwake has received a heritage as a church that cares deeply about international missions. We were planted uh, by Providence Baptist Church in 1989. And David Horner, who was the founding pastor there at Providence, has been a lifelong advocate for the priority of international missions in, in, in our denomination. He's written books on it, he's preached it, he's modeled it for years and made sure that this was part of Providence's DNA that's now come to us and that Larry and of our elders and our elders have continued to champion throughout the years. Now, if you take that and you add to the fact that our church meeting place is 1.2 miles from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, the Great Commission Seminary, you have a recipe for a church that kind of has no choice but to care about international missions. Northwake Church has the wonderful privilege of being one of the top sending missionary churches in our denomination. But I mean, come on. God help us if we were not. Missionaries almost have to jump over us to get there. So going in love with the message of Christ to our neighbors who are far away here, it is part of our heritage. It's who we are. And if you've been around North Wake for very long, you probably take that for granted. Might just seem obvious, of course, you know, missionaries, yeah, we send them. But it wasn't always this way. When the modern day missions movement was launched with um, William Carey in 1780, he decided to leave England as a missionary to India without very much support from the church at all. People in the church in his day told him, if God wants to reach the heathen, he can do that without our help. But Carey did not see how that squared with the Bible, like the Great Commission, the passage that I just read. So he wrote a tract, a little book, called An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Yes, they really titled books like that back then. Um, and he argued that Christians are still under obligation to take the message of Christ to all nations. And he gained a, a precious few supporters at the time. Hardly anyone was doing international mission work. There were no mission, agency, no mission agencies or language training programs. So William Carey had to strike out on his own. And he likened the missionary training task to going down into a deep mine that had never been explored. And when he was leaving, he told two of his friends who were pastors that actually decided to support him in this, uh, and their churches began to support him. Their names were Andrew Fuller and John Ryland. He said, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. And John Ryland, his friend, later wrote, he took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that while we lived, we should never let go of the rope. So what might happen if Northwake Church disbanded? Would it matter? Well, 
for a lot of reasons I think it would, but one of those is that we hold the rope for 40 missionary units that we've sent out that we call our far-flung families. That adds up to 168 people, including their children, that we hold the ropes for. We uphold them by our prayers, by your friendship, by pastoral support, by financial support. How does it impact them if we drop the rope, if we stop praying for them, stop supporting them, stop sending them, stop caring about them? You see, this church, uniquely so perhaps, does not just exist for our own benefit. We hold the ropes for those that we've sent. You see, this has been and must continue to be a high, high priority for our church. Certainly not to the exclusion of reaching our own community. We've talked a lot about that lately, but this is something we must not forget. So let's look a little more carefully at this passage, often called the Great Commission, which Jesus gives his disciples after his resurrection. Um, Notice three things. One, the premise for missions, the premise, or you might say the basis for missions. So the premise for missions, the priority of missions, and the power for missions. So the premise of missions, the priority of missions, and the power. So first, the premise of missions. Let's look at 16 to 18 one more time, or half of 18. So now, the 11 disciples, minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The premise or the basis for missions is Jesus Christ. What do you do with this man? What do you do with him? Uh, This passage is at the end of Matthew's gospel where perhaps this is now several weeks after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, He meets his disciples in their home region of Galilee and gives them this commission to go and make disciples. Now, I began to address this issue last week when I talked about my former classroom student who was shocked to hear me praying for people in other countries to become Christians, but I should probably address this once more, um, that the fact is in our modern era, many people see missions, missions efforts, uh, you know, seeking to convert people to your religious beliefs as overzealous at best and paternalistic, colonialistic, Western supremacy at worst. You know, we shouldn't impose our beliefs on others. After all, aren't all religions kind of like several blind men trying to describe an elephant by touch? You know, the Christian has one part of God, right? Uh, The Buddhist has another part of God figured out and the the Muslim another part. You know, they all think and they understand what God is really like, but none of them can see the whole picture. They all have part of it right, and ultimately they're all getting after the same thing, right? But ultimately, this line of thinking underneath has a very big assumption that it's really the modern, pluralistic person who can see the whole elephant, that really understands God. You know, none of you poor, blind, religious people can see the truth. This day and age, we know better. And uh, we can truly see, you know, what God is or isn't like. I just think that's also kind of a big, a little bit paternalistic assumption in its own right. You know, it assumes that God is unknowable. It assumes that he couldn't make himself known to us or interact with us in history in some way. 
Um, and it assumes that the differences between religions are not really all that great as to be contradictory. I think there's just a lot of assumptions in that. And maybe you're trying to impose them on others too. Now, to be fair, is it difficult to separate your beliefs from your own upbringing, from your own culture, from your own time, and to try to make a truly objective decision about what's true? Yes, that is difficult. But given that fact, we have to recognize our own biases and do the best we can. And I think what I'm saying today is that with the resurrection of Jesus, we're saying there is something to go on when it comes to knowing God. It's not just grabbing an elephant with a blindfold on. There's a starting point. There's a breadcrumb trail, to see, a breadcrumb trail whoops, <laughs> to see if God really may have made himself known to us in history, a way that we can start to examine if he's really there. Um, I was catching up with a, with a friend from college just last week uh, over the phone, and he's got a, quite a few objections and concerns with Christianity, and he wanted to talk. He knows I'm a pastor. Um, he's got questions about our views on gender, and he's got questions about hypocrisy in the church, and he had several very fair critiques of the church. But at the end of the conversation, I encouraged him to consider the primary question is really not, do I like the church, but did Jesus rise from the dead? Is it true? <laughs> did it really happen? And if that's the case, then we can sort out all the secondary questions later along the way. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to believe, that Jesus rose from the dead. Did you notice even the first disciples, when they see him, they're worshiping him and doubting. <laughs> they're filled with joy and astonishment, trying to sort out, what do I do with this man who was undeniably dead just a few days prior? But if you wanna pull more on that thread and you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service and maybe point you in the direction of a couple of resources if you wanna go down that rabbit hole. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, if he was who he says he is, then he's not some sort of tribal local deity. He's not just the Christian God. He's the God, creator God, the one who made all of us, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. The Great Commission is based on the truth that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So if this is true, if Jesus is who he said he is, then missions is the inevitable result of that because he's worthy of lo the love and devotion and worship of all people from all nations. He gave himself in love for them too. He's their true savior, their rightful king. Now if that's true, missions is not paternalistic or colonialistic, it's logical, reasonable, and compassionate. The premise of our missions is Jesus Christ. If we love him, we'll want him to be known and loved by others. Plus, if we love others, we'll want them to believe what is truly good and best for them, which is coming to know the love of God in Jesus Christ too. If we truly love others, we'll be filled with compassion for them in their state of alienation from God, which apart from Christ is permanent and unsolvable. So you might say, that the Great Commission is the flowering of the Great Commandment in a church. You know, like, how do I know that the plants on my back porch need watering? 
Um, how do I know if they're actually receiving the nutrients that I give them of water and sun in the soil? They produce flowers. How do we know if the love of God in Jesus has really penetrated all the way down in our church? We'll know when we go in love to our neighbors who are far away when we give our best efforts to this, when we send our best, when we support them like this matters. Love for neighbors who are far is a very, very important litmus test for our church about whether or not the love of God in Jesus Christ has penetrated deeply into our soil. If we're truly embracing, truly exalting Christ. Henry Martin said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. So that's our premise for missions, Jesus Christ. If he is who he says he is, missions is the inevitable and logical and compassionate result. Now, let's look at the priority of missions, the priority of missions. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, it's fascinating. Uh, all four of the Gospels end with not the resurrection of Jesus, but the sending of his disciples, the commissioning. This is the church's lasting charge until the end of the age. These are Jesus' parting words. Last words should carry some weight. As it's been said, Jesus' last words must be our first priority. Let's look at them a bit closer. The first part of the charge, go, he says. Uh, some translations you'll notice will render this as you go or as you are going, make disciples. And that's a possible way to translate it. But more likely, and without getting into the weeds of Greek grammar this morning, this should be read, I think, the way that most translations render it, which is carries the weight of a command or an imperative Go, and if you want to do your homework on that uh, because you really like Greek grammar, uh, our very own bad boy bikers and esteemed scholars, uh, Ben Merkel and George Robinson have written at length on this in a book called 40 Questions About the Great Commission. In case you have 39 other questions you'd like to ask, I just answered one for free, so first one's on me. But this command to go if it carries the force of an imperative, means that the church must send some of its members to places other than where they already are. And if you just keep reading the passage, to me that gets a little obvious, that the church has to move out. If you're gonna make disciples of all nations, uh, somebody's gonna have to leave. Somebody has to go. Go and do what? Make disciples, Jesus says, not of us, not just more North Wakers or Europeans or Yankees or Southerners or whatever, to make disciples, learners or students of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is, a learner of Christ. And this is our charge. And this is the heartbeat of God, to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation reconciled to himself through Christ. So the question for us, North Wake, is that, is that still our passion? Is that still our priority? Oswald Smith says, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. 
So do we still have a biblical right to exist as a church? Are we still excited about making disciples and sending people to the nations? And do you know that you have a critical part to play in holding the rope for others? So last week, we looked at two particular values from our vision and values document that capture the priority of loving our neighbors nearby. This week, let me give you two more values that speak to how we love our neighbors who are far. Uh, You can see this on the screen. So first, because we love our neighbors who are far, we establish and strengthen other churches. So God has uniquely positioned Northwake to serve other churches across our nation and around the world. So through training and deploying, we partner with suitably gifted members to either start new church gatherings or strengthen existing churches so that the gospel message might be further proclaimed. We believe that a healthy church is a sending church, so we pray for and help prepare those that we might send to other outposts of God's kingdom. Now this speaks to the work that North Wake does in identifying and training and sending people to serve churches or start new ones throughout the U.S. or internationally. And then second, we send and support missionaries. God's agenda for the world is that people from every nation and language might come to know him. We want to be part of what God is doing in the world. So we go to the nations by equipping and sending cross-cultural missionaries and upholding them by prayer, staying in touch, and caring for them. So from these two values, I'm just reminding you that we hold the rope for these 40 units. And by that, I mean missionary and church planter, singles or couples who are sent and supported by Northwake. And it won't be too long, honestly, before that number is over 50. We have about a dozen more people in the pipeline coming up. So how can you, you personally, not just us collectively, but you personally, how can you help hold the rope for these far-flung families. Let me give you five ideas. First, you can pray for them. Pray for them. This is not trite. I know we do this a lot, but all of their training and preparation, it is not sufficient to see people moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. That is a God-sized task for which all the best training in the world cannot prepare you. One for which we need to be a church on our knees praying. So I'm just gonna challenge you and ask you, do you actually pray for our far-flung families? When we pray for them in our service, is your attitude, here we go again, or is it, it's time to get to work? Because our prayer for them is calling in an airstrike from heaven to help. It matters. I appreciate Robert's challenge to you. Take this, put it in your Bible, put it in your iPad, put it on your refrigerator and pray for these people. They desperately long for your prayers. And as you pray for them, I would challenge you to pray for their countries. Uh, My own personal takeaway this week in just getting this sermon ready is I need to pick back up a habit that I had for a long time, which was praying for a different country in the world every day. Uh, I use a website called Operation World, and they send a daily email with a prayer prompt. Um, You could also look at the news and pray, because there's a lot going on in the world that needs the prayers of the church. Patrick Johnstone, the founder of Operation World, says, all of the earth-shaking awesome forces unleashed on the world are released by the Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns today. 
He is in the control room of the universe. This is true of our world today. In wars, famines, earthquakes, or the evil that apparently has the ascendancy, all God's actions are just and loving. We have perhaps become too enemy conscious and can overdo the spiritual warfare aspect of intercession. We need to be more God conscious so that we can laugh the laugh of faith knowing that we have power over all the power of the enemy. What confidence and rest of heart this gives us as we face a world in turmoil and such spiritual need. So first, let me challenge you to pray. Uh, Second, let me challenge you to befriend our far-flung families while they're here training. Many of our far-flungs will only get a couple of years here with us before they go. So with that in mind, let me speak especially to those of you who are townies of the Wake Forest area, meaning you're not a gownie, like you're going to graduate and leave soon. You're a townie. You're a true local. Your friendship for future far-flung families, FFFFs, did I get all four in there? Yeah, uh, is vital because many of the other gownies are going to graduate and leave to serve in other places. They're going to move away at some point. So townies, you're going to be the ones who are here. You're going to be the ones to welcome our far-flung families home when they come to North Wake. You provide continuity so they still feel like they know people here. So one of the best ways to do this is through our grow groups. If you're not in a grow group, join one. Maybe try to join one on purpose that has someone who is planning to go overseas so you can befriend them, get to know them. Who knows, you might become BFFs with a future FFF. Third, you can give to them. Here's what I mean. Some of our far-flungs are supported by the International Mission Board, which a portion of our regular giving goes towards, and so does our annual um, Lottie Moon offering to intermissions. Others of our far-flungs are directly funded, at least partially, through North Wake. And it's quite likely beyond that, in 2024, we may have the opportunity, we will have the opportunity most likely, to do another far-flung retreat in Europe where several of our missionary families will already be gathered nearby. And you'll have the opportunity to help fund that through our Gen 12 offering next year, more on that next week, or perhaps even attending yourself. So give to them, befriend them, pray for them. Fourth, you can go to them. Uh, In the weekly newsletter this week, if you go back and look, one of the tiles contained a short-term missions trip interest form. And there's going to be more of these opportunities coming up in the near future. There's already one we received a request for um, that's really, really soon, probably too soon, like December soon. But if you're one of those spontaneous international travelers, um, maybe you could look into this one. It's been advertised on our Facebook group to do some gospel outreach through caroling amongst Muslim peoples in a European country that I can't tell you where it is, but you think of it typically as very, very fancy. And if this year is too soon for you uh, and you need to warm up your vocal cords, this trip will likely be offered every year. Uh, They'll invite people from our church to come go caroling, so start your scales and your Christmas Christmas carols this year, start practicing. And then secondly, Ben Merkel, the bad boy biker, is also putting together a team to go to the Dominican Republic in January. And I think we put a video about that on social media recently. 
And again, there's this far-flung family retreat likely coming in summer 2024 and more trips coming down the pipe. So when you see that interest form, you can go back to the weekly newsletter. We'll send it out again. You can go ahead and fill it out. Say, yeah, I'd like to go somewhere, possibly, and we'll hit you up. And then fifth, a fifth way that you can love our far-flungs is you can become one of them. One of my hopes for North Wake is not just that we are a launching pad for missionaries, but we become an incubator of our own missionaries, like homegrown, some of the townies. Um, Perhaps God is working on some of you in this way, to leave here and to go to our neighbors who are far. Or perhaps even more difficult, he may be calling your children maybe calling some of our students. This is one of the things that I often pray for my own children, that God would lead them and send them wherever he sees fit and most useful for his own kingdom, even if that's far away. And I like my kids, you know, I like them being nearby. But why should my own children be exempt from the great need to go? Missions is our priority. And then last, the power for missions, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, when I stop and think about it, uh, the missions task... (laughs) is terribly daunting. If you ever go look at just the statistics and numbers and stuff, you know. There's a little over eight billion people now in the world with about half of them not really having meaningful access to the gospel message. It's like four billion people, which I don't know. Those kinds of numbers are just kind of paralyzing to me. It seems, it seems too far out of reach. But I, I do have to stop and think, how did the first disciples feel? Make disciples of all nations, guys. Ready, set, go. You know, if there was like 120 Christians maybe at the time in a world population, estimates tell us, of about 300 million. 120 Christians, 300 million other people. Not a great ratio. Um, Sometimes when I, for example, I tell my kids to clean their room after a long day of play and there's just mess everywhere in the room and they protest I can't do it. It's too much. It's too hard. Usually I say, well, then don't make such a big mess. But sometimes I say, look, it's okay. Daddy will help you. Let's get it done. I'll be right here. And even if I don't do as much myself, it's amazing how just me being in the room gives them the confidence and perseverance to the impossible task of putting away all their toys. Jesus has promised that he would be with us, that he would never leave us, and that he would help us. The Great Commission is not too too much for us with him. He's given us his presence, and he's given us a plan. As many have pointed out, this is not a plan of addition, but of multiplication. I mentioned David Horner in one of his books. He lays out the math. You know, it would be so discouraging if you were to think how long it would take for us to share the gospel with each person in the world, even just for them to hear it once. But let's say that you were the only Christian in the world who was willing to fulfill the Great Commission. 
and you started by leading one person to Christ and you befriended them and you mentored them and you taught them to do the same thing for someone else a year later. And they did. Simply multiplying two people each year would enable the entire world to hear about Christ in only 35 years. That is the power of multiplication. Now, as you all know, it's likely not gonna play out so nicely. Not everyone will be able to lead someone to Christ and mentor them in the space of the year. Many will say no, many will start and fall away. But the good news is, you're not the only one chipping away here. My point is just that the Great Commission is possible. It's not as far out of reach as you might first think looking at the numbers. Uh, Missiologist Ralph Winter points out that Christianity actually has made significant proportional gains over time. If you go back to AD 100, there were 360 non-Christians for every one Christian. Again, not a great ratio. By the year AD 1000, there was 270 non-Christians for every one Christian. By the year 1500, 85 non-Christians for every one Christian. 1900, 21 Christians for every one Christian. 1970, 13 Christians for every one Christian. And by 2000, 9.3 actually, but it's confusing on the slide, so I just put nine for one every one Christian. So if every Christian were to say, I'm a disciple of Christ, therefore, I too am a minister of the gospel. I'm responsible to share Christ until someone I know comes to Jesus and then I'll help them do the same thing. This is not as impossible as you might think. Uh, One of my modern day missionary heroes is a church planter named Emmanuel. Uh, I got to see him last year when he was in the US. That's not a picture of me as a baby. Um, It's my youngest son, Landon, because I forgot to even get a photo with my friend Emmanuel. This is the only one that I have. But he gave me this vest, actually. It's from from a different country. Uh, I know some of you were worried that I was going down the slippery slope of wearing sweater vests like some other pastors. Um, But it's it's not a sweater vest. It's a a wool vest that my friend Emmanuel gave me. And uh, Emmanuel, he moved from uh, a place in his country where there were quite a few Christians, actually, to a different part of the country, way up north, where there were hardly any In many places, literally none. Uh, And many told him that being a missionary in the northern part of his country was a waste of time, that it was an impossible task. But for 25 years now, he's gone from town to town, faithfully sharing the love of God in Jesus and teaching others to do the same. He's made disciples. He's been persecuted for it, even beaten a couple of times and run out of town. He's been betrayed. But for 25 years, he's kept at it. And now there are house churches in literally dozens of villages and hundreds of, if not thousands of Christians in that area because of his faithful labor. I share that story only to say, the Great Commission may seem crazy, but it's not impossible. Not with Christ. Multiplication is powerful. And more importantly, Christ is all-powerful And he's with us. He goes ahead of us. And whether or not we necessarily see numerical success is secondary. The main thing is being disciples who are willing to follow him by going to make disciples. Disciples who are so gripped by the love of Christ that out of love for him and the world around us, we will leave our comfort zones and go in love 
to our neighbors near and far. That is who we are, and that's who we want to be. Let's pray. So Jesus, we come to you as your worshiping yet doubting disciples. And still you come to us and you have entrusted us with the task of bearing your love to the nations. Jesus, I'm thankful for the role that North Wake has played in this over the years. By your presence and by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make us all the more faithful in this endeavor and that we might know the joy of joining you in the work that you're doing around the world. Forgive us when we get so caught up in ourselves that we forget about the world around us and about the nations that you've called us to care about and love and send people to. So may obeying the Great Commission be the thing that draws us up out of the the smallness of our own stories and catches us up in the grand story that you are writing of seeing people from all over this planet come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ and worship him forever and ever. Have mercy on us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit that we would be a people that go to our neighbors who are far. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us?